Hi there, I'm Will. Thank you for choosing to listen to this, the second episode of our podcast. In this one, we chat about Christmas in London and Charles Dickens and his connection to the university. Our Director of Student and Academic Services, Tim Wade, joins us for a chat about London, the university buildings and helping out at the London 2012 Olympics. And Georgina from the Student Experience Team talks mental health and well-being during festive periods. There's also a little Christmas University of London quiz. Enjoy! Hello and welcome to the World Class Podcast. Once again, I'm joined in the basement of Senate House by my two colleagues, Tim Hall, Student Experience Manager. Hello, Will. And Joe Harris, Associate Director of Student Experience. Hi, Will. Okay, so having rained all week in London, it's actually quite a nice, crisp, sunny December morning now. The sun is out and it's about five degrees. So today, Joe is going to be chatting with our Director of Student and Academic Services, Tim Wade. And later, we're going to be joined by another member of the Student Experience team, Georgina, who's going to be talking to us about mental health and well-being. So it is... As Noddy Holder once said, Christmas. Look him up if you're not familiar with 1970s UK glam rock Christmas songs. Is it the most wonderful time of the year or is that fake news, Tim? I really like this time of year, um, especially now that I've had uh, a daughter um, because it sort of injects that magic back into the whole uh, the whole season. Um, I'm really looking forward to the time off we get here at the university to go down and visit my family in Dorset. Another shout out to Dorset. Yeah. <laughs> um, How about you, Joe? Are you looking forward to Christmas? I love this time of year. Uh, I think Christmas is so special. And I agree, um, Tim, uh, when I had my son, um, and he's 11 now, uh, but, you know, in those early years, it was just so, so special. Um, the whole magic of Father Christmas and Elf on the Shelf and all of those kind of things uh, just made it, it's just so magical. So Christmas, or, or any other festivity for that matter, is celebrated differently in different parts of the world. What are some of the traditional London Christmas idiosyncrasies, do you think? Okay, well, there's the Christmas lights oh, yeah. uh, in London. Um, they're really pretty magical, and people do actually take trips to come up town, as we say, to to, to go and see the Christmas lights, and then you might have like a, like a hot chocolate somewhere or, a, you know, some dinner or something and you'll go and do a little bit of shopping and come and see the lights. And it's just because it's so cold normally this time of year. If you get a cold, fresh evening with the lights twinkling, it's just, it just feels Christmas to me. It's just amazing. Have you seen the tree in Trafalgar Square this year? I haven't seen it this year, but I think it's, I, I love going to see the tree. It's always so nice. We also put a tree up in the car park, don't we? In, um, the back of uh, Senate House, that's always something that gets donated as well from the same place, I think, Will. Is it? So, yeah, so yeah. The, the tree in Trafalgar Square comes from Norway each year. It's actually a gift from Oslo um, because uh, as a token of gratitude for the uh, British support to Norway during the Second World War. Um, and it's it's massive, isn't it? It's, it's huge. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how big it is. I'm not good with meters and height. <laughs> anyway, it's, it's, it's huge. Yeah, um, over twenty meters tall. Twenty I've just meters. Looked it up. Have yeah. you just looked it up? Yeah. Have you two been to any of these new ice rinks that open up around London? Yes, the I love outdoor ice ones. Skating. Yeah. Do you? I have. Yeah. Are you any good at it? I think I'm pretty decent. Yeah. Yeah. My partner was very impressed when she first saw me ice skating. 
<laughs> did you use the rollerblade when you were a kid? Because I, I can did. sort of imagine yeah. you with your big curly hair rollerblading. Yeah. Was it like, uh, what's that always... film with the guy from Napoleon Dynamite in? <laughs> it's a, I think it was my Napoleon Dynamite. Yeah, no, no. He did an <laughs> ice skating film with Will oh, Ferrell. Blades of Glory. Oh, Blades yeah. of Glory, yeah. yeah. It, is, it is a bit like that because all of, my, all of my friends really, you know, when I was a teenager, everyone got into skating and, and, and blading and skateboarding and they were all very like grungy looking and I just could not pull it off and I ended up looking like one of those sort of like, California health, uh, <laughs> you know, going down the, the promenade. Like it's a recovered yeah, memory of yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. You look like something to do with California health. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I went to the one at Hampton Court last year. Hampton Court being Henry VIII's palace. Yeah. Out in southwest London. It's really nice. And obviously it's it's a lovely thing to do. It's like a traditional Christmas picture postcard thing, people skating around. But trouble was it was warm and it was raining. So you're just essentially just skating in a puddle. Oh, no. Um, I had a... Oh, no. Go on. Sorry, carry on. I'll no. tell you my one in a minute. Well, and then because it was warm, the ice was getting cut up by people's skates. So f- the front of one of my skates got caught. <laughs> oh, no. And I went down and I went down really hard. Oh. And it, it's fun when you, like, you see these little kids skating around and they're falling all over and they get up and laugh. But yeah. when you're a full grown man, it hurts a lot. Apparently, you used to be able to skate on the Thames as well. For real? Yeah. Uh, oh it was God. a really interesting article. It was obviously a lot colder about, back well, in the yeah. day. But they used to have winter markets held, you know, on the frozen tents. How long ago was this? Do you know? The illustration was looked pretty old. Like the 1800s so, yeah, or yeah, something. Yeah. But did you know there was a mini ice age from for about 300 years, I think, from the 1500s to about 1850? So a lot of the Victorian oh, images of Christmas... When they're all icy they're and snowy, on it's, the tem- it, it's right. It's right. It's there, it was definitely colder. Oh, I never knew that. Yeah. That's amazing. So a lot, a lot of the imagery you see of London and Christmas, a lot of the ideas you have about London and Christmas come from those Victorian, Victorian times. times. And obviously a lot of our listeners will probably be familiar with A Christmas Carol, which is... Um, classic. It's a classic, uh, written by Charles Dickens. Um, and that paints a very sort of... Well, apparently that... I think there's even a film about it, The Man Who Created Christmas, I think it's called, but it it shows how his... The way he portrayed Christmas has now become... The standard way that we view it. Okay, the, I can I get that. Uh, the um, the royal family at the time they were the big big fans of um, some of the German influences over the season, and all the Christmas trees and things like that were things that Victorian Albert brought over to the UK, yeah. and that's why it's such a big deal over here as well. And obviously, the Christmas Carol book has been adapted into many different film versions. What are your what are your favourites? Muppets. Yeah, absolutely. Oh my god, that's the right I, answer. I don't know whether we should do films again. No, <laughs> but we can talk about Muppets. Muppets as well every time. Yeah, we have so I feel like well. you have to. <laughs> but um, Muppet Christmas Carol, if you haven't seen it, is absolutely brilliant. It's incredible. Michael Caine as Scrooge. Oh um, yeah, that's iconic. Yeah, uh, yeah, definitely. Go and see it. But anyway, to bring this all back to the University of London, because this is a University of London podcast right. after all. Um, Charles Dickens does have a bit of a relationship with the university. Do you know what that is? No. no. Tell us. Okay. So, as you as you may know, the University of London was founded 1836. I should know. Yeah, 1836. <laughs> 1836. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was uh, for what we re- used to refer to as internal study, study in London. And then in 1858, um, the university act or rather there was a charter issued in 1858 which uh, changed the rules slightly so people not attending a college at the university of london could sit our examinations 
So what that, that was essentially the birth of um, our distance learning program that exists yeah. now that we've got 52,000 students on. So Charles Dickens um, was a massive fan of this. You know, he was, he was a, a social commentator. Yeah. He uh, wrote, if you've read Christmas Carol or seen Christmas Carol, he talks about the, the poor houses and yeah. he's very much for um, social change. So he thought this was brilliant. He thought this was great for uh, the shoemaker, quote unquote, to be able to get their degree. Um, so he actually wrote an article in a, um, a magazine called All the Year Round, which appeared in 1859. Um, and he referred to the University of London as the English People's University or the People's University, as we now call it. Yeah, we do call it that. And that's from Charles Dickens. That's Charles Dickens, Amazing. yeah. Amazing. So what he actually said, he said, the Oxford Don may smile over his port at a university that will extend her hand and offer a firm grip even to the young shoemaker who studies in his garret. He may feel a little scornful of a university that, to the poor as to the rich, gives to the man a few opportunities as to the man with many, a free chance of obtaining at the cost of hard toil and years of self-denial the name and rank of a scholar. Oh, I've got shivers. <laughs> so there you go. Oh, that is amazing. Christmas Dickens, University of London. Oh, it all ties in. It's lovely. I know. It's almost a like this is planned. A bit of research planned. there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we are now joined by Tim Wade, who is our Director of Student and Academic Services. Welcome, Tim. Hello, thank you. Thanks for joining us on the podcast this morning. Um, really pleased that you could come. It's my um, pleasure. Our students... Um, are really interested in uh, Senate House and the University of London. And we feel like you're the perfect guest um, to be able to enlighten our students more on this wonderful building and the sort of timeline of the University of London and University of London life. We touched upon it in our last podcast, um, but you've been here a long time. We've worked together a long time. What has changed, do you think, Tim, in your time here in terms of the student journey? Oh, it's completely different. If you look at it, it's, it's really difficult to actually make a comparison. So I've been here since 1992, so that's 27 years. And if I think about what the, the level of provision then, if I think about what were, what was available to students, then it is really quite a different world. Um, we, we, we weren't in an online world. Obviously, we weren't no. in an online world. We didn't have the internet. I remember um, I started here in 1992 and I had a typewriter, so we didn't even have a computer. <laughs> Not even a computer. We didn't have a computer. Got that in 1994. Um, I remember first getting a mouse in 1999, didn't know what to do with it, didn't know what, what it was at all. So it is a, it is an entirely different world. And our provision then was paper-based. We lived in a paper-based world. Yeah. We drowned in paper here at Senate House. We had like uh, rooms and rooms and lockers, lockers full of, of paper. And it was a paper-based world. And our material that was available to students then was study guides, uh, reading lists, textbooks. It was, it was a wholly different world. So there was a huge distribution process. Everything was very much uh, slower. There was nothing like the, uh, the swiftness that we see today. Uh, it, 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 it's amazing. Sometimes you think you were talking about 100 years ago, but you're only talking about 27, and, and yet it is a completely different world. We didn't really move into our virtual learning environments and our online world into about 2007, 2008. And also, you've got to think at that time, our, all of our administrative processes were manual. They were all completely mm. manual. We did everything on pieces of paper. Student filled in forms, sent it to us. We filled in forms, sent it back to them. We packed packs of boxes. We packed textbooks. And there was, uh, it, it's just, a, it's hard to imagine that it was uh, relatively close. And in my time here, in my working career here, the, the provision was so completely different. I know, and I suppose student expectation is different as well, isn't it? Because back in the day when they were sending their letters in to us or asking for a 
change of uh, registration or any module changes totally or so different. on. It's hard to believe how, how well, we, 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 we did, uh, we obviously answered things as quickly as we could, but how, how slow it used to actually be. Yeah. So students would write to us on that old-fashioned airmail paper, that thin little bit of uh, uh, like you know, tissue you had to and open really paper. Carefully. You had to open very carefully in case you ripped their inquiry in half. They would uh, send their very, very polite uh, airmail letters back. We, they'd take however many weeks it was for us to get here. We'd take however many weeks it was for us to reply. We'd type up that reply on the typewriter, okay, faithfully stuff that in the envelope and uh, put the envelope back in there. And about three or four months they might get reply later. <laughs> it's so mad, it was, isn't it, it, when is you another, think about... It is another world. And, and, yet the, and that, was, uh, that was the expectation. They also used to quite like receive – the students would be very receptive to any letter that came from the university. It was like on a headed, you know, paper. Was headed paper and a nice emblem and it was, it was considered, you know, sort of like uh, – a must-have. It was something that was there. The expectations are completely different. The, the, the world has changed. The world has shrunk. The internet has brought us all much closer together. Everything is immediate. And um, it is, it's hard to think how much it's changed. And and where did you, do you feel that you got your interest in like the history of Senate House? Where do you think that started for you? So, I mean, I like, I'm history, I'm interested in architecture anyway. I'm interested in London. I mean, I'm a Londoner and I just love, I, I think it's the most amazing city. I think it is an absolutely uh, beautiful and uh, fantastic place. What I think is interesting about London is what uh, we have, what, what successive, uh, whoever's been looking after it has tried to do is keep everything that is old has been preserved. We try mm. to keep all of that that has been there. It's had it's had its knocks in its time, but everything that is old has been, been preserved. And then around it, we have built a very, very modern city. And I think that that's if you if you if you wander through if you actually wander through the square mile if you wander through the city of London that's where you notice it the most. Mm. You will see it there where you've got like a, a Roman wall that's two thousand years old. You've got relics of the medieval ages. You've got Victorian buildings, you've got 16th century Georgian houses next to the Shard, next to the Gherkin, next to the Cheese Grater. They are built mm. side by side by side. So we have managed, and it's, a, it's, a, it's feats of engineering beyond you, you, on the imagination, but we've managed to put all of that old in with the new. And it is just a, a fantastic city that's kept that. It's a 2,000-year-old city, and everything that could possibly be preserved has been preserved. And yet we haven't, we've used every single inch of space. Every bit of space is being used up. If you look across the city now, there are uh, uh, crane upon crane upon crane. You won't, you, won't, yeah. you won't stop seeing it there. There's all new buildings going up. I come in through the city, through Liverpool Street, and in, in the space of the year, there's five new skyscrapers that have gone up. I look up each day and it's a new vista. There's something new to see there. So London itself is just a, is a fascinating city. This area of London, where we are in Bloomsbury, just off mm. the way of Fitzroy, is really fascinating. I think a lot of people miss it. Yeah, they do. They may miss it. So down to the left, you've got the West End, you've got the Theatre Land, you've got uh, Oxford Street and Regent Street, you've got the Shoppers Paradise, you've got all of those things which you've got down there. Over to just just down the other way, you've got the city, you've got Holborn, you've got the Barbican, you've got those places there. And just off of that a little bit is Bloomsbury. It's completely different. It is uh, like a, a one large campus. There are so many of the University of London buildings around here. There are so many halls of residence. There are so many of the Georgian houses that are used for teaching, for seminars, and also for students. And and this uh, and and so it, it is a slightly, it's really quite different. The areas that surround us on here really are quite different. Um, it's beautiful. It's lovely. We've mm-hmm. kept all of the squares out. We our building looks onto Russell Square. That's the largest of the London squares. But around us is Tavistock Square. Around us is Gordon Square. There are those beautiful squares and gardens that have been uh, kept absolutely wonderfully. And you've got the Georgian houses that surround them. So the area of Bloomsbury and of Fitzrovia is, is very unusual. Yeah, there is a student vibe. There's lots of young people. You, see, you feel that around there. But it's quiet. It's got a quieter pace. And it is almost like one large campus. 
And they're slapped back in the, in the middle of it. You've got these two fantastic buildings. You've got the British Museum. You've got the mm. British Museum that is slightly older than us, built back in the 20s. You've got that, which is almost like a palace in itself. If visitors to it can't believe it, it's actually a museum. You've got that marvellous icon there. Biggest uh, attraction for London. In uh, it's, the, it's the largest tourist attraction in London. And we are uh, uh, completely next door to it. We, we, we follow on from that. So you've then got the Senate House building and, and, the, and the surrounding parts of that in there. So beautiful site, beautiful area. Um, and, and, and it is just a, it, it isn't, it's an iconic building itself. It's starting to become, I think, one of those ones that will go up on the posters. It's coming up like where we've got the St. Paul's and you've got the, mm-hmm. uh, the British Museum and that we're starting to become one of those things that is copied. It's getting, it's, it's getting more famous, I think. I think our, our listeners will be able to tell how um, versed you are in London and in history of London. And that follows that you are like that about Senate House. I have been uh, on one of your tours and they are quite amazing. Your knowledge of the tour of Senate House is quite remarkable. And students, if they ever get the chance, we do do um, tours. We have an open day before the graduation ceremony. Yes, we'll be doing that on the 1st and 2nd of March this year and graduation ceremony on the 3rd. And... Um, Students can come and they can have a tour of this building, which is, as Tim says, really quite iconic. When you do your tours, Tim, um, what what part of the building do you love sharing the most? What bit of it for you? Well, what well, you try to do. So we do a lot of tours for students. We're always wanting to welcome students to their yes. university. We want them to come to their campus. They may have studied uh, thousands of miles away and we want to welcome them to here. Uh, we also do an open house tour. We have uh, a London has a, play, a, a day where all of the, its iconic buildings are open and we, 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 we participate in that. We want to do a tour though. You try to make each one a little bit different. You try mm. to make one each one a little bit different and your audience will be different. They will want to hear about different things. So some you can tell will want to hear about history and architecture and some will want to know about the history of the university. Some will want to know about the history of the students and those people who've passed through them. So each one is, 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 a, is a tiny bit different. Um, the most popular room is the Senate room, which is, 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 a, is an older fashioned Victorian style room, which is a very heavy walnut walls and very heavy leather furniture. It's not my favourite. That's, mm. that's everyone else's favourite. It's not necessarily mm. my favourite. It's, it's very different. It's, it's immediately different. It looks more like a courtroom. It looks like the old Bailey. Uh, my favourite is the Chancellor's Hall. The Chancellor's Hall cuts right underneath the building and the library's on top of your head. And mm. I think it's fascinating to stand right in the middle of the building in a very, very modern looking room. It's 1930s art decor, but it looks completely modern. And you've got the two million volumes above your head. I always like that idea that you've <laughs> yeah. got this library, hopefully safely, stainless steel above your head. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's my favourite part of there. I think that's just a, it's, it's just an unbelievable room. It's one of those rooms that it's always cool. In the, in the, if we've got, even when we get our 35 degrees July day, you open the windows, the breeze blows through, and it's beautifully cool. And it sort of the the, the, the coolness sort of matches the room, matches mm. the feel of it. I agree. I think it's such a beautiful room as well. And again, we were talking about this in our last podcast um, that has been used for a lot of films um, in the past. Um, a fun fact about you, I don't think many people know, is actually when we had the 2012 Olympics, um, you and uh, your colleague. Um, <laughs> Pamela Roberts, who is also a director here at the University of London, um, you actually signed up to be London tour guides. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, we were, uh, were the Mayor of London's ambassadors. So there was a Mayor of London's ambassador. So there were, two, there were two different roles for that. Some people actually helped out at the event. So they were at the Olympic Park and you helped the athletes and different people that were taking part. There was a part of that where you actually helped at the events. There was another part which myself and Pamela Roberts uh, undertook was we were Mayor of London ambassadors. And we were at different uh, tourist points 
around the London and outside of London to welcome people to the Olympic Games, to welcome people to London. Now, I live out in Essex now. Unfortunately, I'm not in London anymore. <laughs> um, I, I'm coming back when I retire, but I live out, out in Essex <laughs> now. And uh, I was stationed at Stansted Airport. Pamela was at Gatwick Airport and I was at Stansted Airport. So we were, we, although we both share an office, we were at different ends of the end. But Pamela's a South London girl, so she was down in Gatwick. I was up in Essex. And we were stationed at a point at the airport to welcome people off of the planes as they were coming in. Uh, and, and, and many of them were coming on planes that were specifically to go and stay at the tourist hotels and to come and see the events. And I was at, we were actually there in the first week of the Olympics. So you had to, the idea was you were, people were going to come and ask you about the events. They were going to come and ask you how to get on a tube, how to get to London, how to get on a bus, how to, where, where different things was, the, the timing of this, that and the other. Um, and, 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 and some of it was that, a part of it was that. It was great. They were, we were very, very notice, noticeable. The outfit was bright pink. That's where bright pink uh, polo, net, polo shirt. A, bright, a, a straw boater with a lovely pink ribbon on it. It was really, really smashing so that they could see you wherever you stood. So I haven't you seen stood a photographic out, There were no photos. We've managed to destroy them all. <laughs> Pamela rocked her outfit a lot better than I did, but yeah. um, we, we've, I don't think there are any photos left in existence there, but you could definitely see it. So there was a group of five or six of us on each oh. shift and people came off the plane and they were, they were asking about that. What happened was people just wanted to talk to you. They just yeah. come up and talk to you. They just wanted to have a chat about this, that and the other. Some people were not didn't even know the Olympic Games were on and there were people that were just coming. <laughs> Up, chatting. What was it all about? What was that? We met a few of the teams. We met a few of the athletic teams. We met the um, a hockey team, a volleyball team. There's quite a lot of Dutch visitors that were coming in from Stansted. Gets a lot of pe- uh, flights from the Netherlands, and they just wanted to talk to you. They do. They, mm. We were just standing there. They just talked the whole shift. You didn't like. You, you, we did some directions. We got a couple of bus maps out, but most of it was just about chat and what was what was going on. It was brilliant. It really was a fantastic uh, sort of idea. And the, and the mayor of Ambassadors' idea really worked. It did work as an idea of welcoming. It was sort of something you thought we could keep this going. Like why don't we just have people about mm. volunteers about who love the city, who love those. Places. Places and just keep talking and, and, and talking and, and going on that. And it really, really was fascinating. So after I'd finished on the shift, I used to come into work. And so you sort of get the, the Stansted Express into London and people carried on doing it. They carried on talking to you. So they'd see you <laughs> in this bright pink, pink outfit and a boat <laughs> yeah. and they'd say, oh, it looks important. And they'd come and have a chat with you and they'd keep going and they were just asking you questions. So I did more of the actual directions when I wasn't on duty than we did when we when we were on duty. We did a lot, <laughs> quite a lot of chatting. You'd be walking down the street and people would just like stop you and say like, oh, you know, yeah, where's Stratford? You know, how do I get to Greenwich? And, and it was it, it was a it was a really um, I, we're very glad we did it. It was a laugh. It was and, and it was really good. And it's something I think uh, we, we, you could consider doing. London could consider doing more generally. Some of those roles have been kept on, but I think we could do it on a big scale. I think you're a natural tour guide and um, a reference point for London and Senate House. Um, just finally, Tim, going back to um, you talked about the history of when you first started here and what it was like um, in terms of the student journey. In your role now, looking towards the future, what do you feel um, student life is going to be like in 10 years to come? Well, it's interesting. I think a lot of student life will be online. I think we're moving into this world where school children study online. Like you've got school children with iPads and you've got children yeah. very young being exposed to technology. And I think methods of teaching will change. There will still be the classroom. There will be a lot more that is done by peer-to-peer. There is a lot more where students are helping and aiding each other in their teaching. There will be a lot more of that. But our level of provision, our sort of teaching materials being online in a virtual learning environment, I think that will become more commonplace, even with campus 
campus-based teaching. I think campus-based teaching will be supplemented by that. I think it will become more of a norm to learn in this way because this is the way people actually study. It's the way they do their homework. It's the way they go off and, and, and do more in-depth reading and research. And I think we will see a change that what, what, we won't even think about calling it online learning. We'll be learning. It is the way in which we study. We learn via technology. We will learn via teachers and lecturers. We will have that. But I think we'll see a, a richer mix of all of those things together. Um, and, and this is we're, we're well placed for that. We, are, we have a, 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 an excellent uh, online uh, environment that we have those there. We've got excellent materials that can be taught in that way. I think teaching, teaching in schools, teaching in higher education, we'll see a revolution. It become Everything will become a mix of using technology and classroom based and peer to peer. That's really great. Thanks, Tim. I'm going to put you on the spot one last time before you go. Can you give us three obscure facts about Senate House that isn't published anywhere, Ooh, we don't think? Published. Well, in 1933, there were planning permission laws in London, as there are now. They're even stricter now. But there were, in 1933, there were planning laws and no building was allowed to be taller than St Paul's Cathedral. So St Paul's Cathedral is the tallest building and it's the, the religious iconic building. It was no, Nothing was allowed to be taller than St Paul's. So they built Senate House three inches shorter. The Senate House is three inches shorter than uh, St Paul's Cathedral. They pushed it to the limit. They could have gone, I suppose, one inch shorter, but they pushed it to the absolute limit. And uh, Senate House is three inches shorter. And it was, it remained the tallest building until 1953 when the planning laws were relaxed and suddenly everything shot up. Right. So Senate House is not the skyscraper that it once was, but it was, it was at that time, it was the tallest non-religious building and it kept its planning permission. Um, so that one's, I don't, I don't necessarily think punished, but published. Um, Senate House has a ghost. That's a rather ghoulish story, but Senate House does have a ghost. Sir Edmund Deller was the principal of the University of London and he was instrumental in seeing the Senate House building made. And in 1936, just before the building was due to open, he was uh, injured in an accident here in one of the lift shafts and he died three days later in hospital. It's rather a tragic story. Don't want to share too much, but he was the principal who never got to see his building opened. Uh, the accident happened in one of the lift shafts down on the left-hand side of the North Block and supposedly Sir Edmund Deller ghosts uh, haunts the lift shaft. We don't use the lift anymore. It's definitely closed off. There's been too many uh, uh, strange happenings in there, particularly at night time. So uh, the, that lift is no longer used. But his name is still on. It's the cafe, the Della Hall, where we're sitting next door to the Della's. Mm. Uh, it was the Della Hall. Now it's Della's. And the staff cafe is named after Swedman Della. So although he never got to see it opened, He's still a part of the building. Yes. Hopefully his ghost is not there. Hopefully he's at, he's at peace, you know, and everything was fine. <laughs> yeah. But we have a lot to thank him for. And uh, it's nice to actually think that his name lived on. Mm. And uh, there is uh, uh, one fact that people may not know. So there is a war mem uh, memorial at the uh, back end of underneath the Crush Hall stairs. There's a war memorial stairs for, for those members of University of London staff that were killed in the Great War and in the Second World War. And the war memorial carries a bronze casket on top of that. There's a bronze casket on the top of the war memorial. That casket is a replica of the time capsule that is buried underneath the foundation stone. So at the foot of the tower... Uh, the, the foundation stone was laid by King George V in 1933 and his wife, Queen Mary, and he buried a casket underneath the foundation stone that contained uh, pieces of the day, uh, a, a new minted penny of the day, a programme of the day, a newspaper of the day. Wow. And the king himself buried that casket underneath the foundation stone and laid the foundation stone there. That casket is replicated on top of the war memorial. It's quite an interesting, it's a little bronze casket. It was made by Chubb, the lockmakers. Oh. Chubb, the lockmakers, donated that to us. And it's a, a nice little, it, it's really rather pretty and it's laid a long time the, alongside the war memorial at the back of the stairs. 
So next time people pass through there, they can I uh, never remember knew that. That, that's that, what that is as well. That's fascinating. I don't want to publish too many facts. We've got nothing to sell the tour. <laughs> <laughs> We've got to keep some got, surprises yeah, back. We've got to keep some surprises back. But there are quite a lot of fascinating facts about the building. So, listeners, if you ever want to come to London and do one of these fascinating tours, it will most likely be Tim because he's the best at it. Thank you so much, Thank Tim. Thank you. Thank you, Joe. Thank Pleasure. You, Thank you. Thank you. Right, it's Christmas, so it's traditional to have a little quiz, isn't it? It really is. is. It? Yeah, that, yeah. Is a, that is a Christmas tradition, isn't it? Okay, so Joe and Tim. I'm, exo- I'm so competitive. You need okay. any excuse for a quiz, to be fair. Yeah, yeah well, you, I know you love a quiz. Well, That's why I feel like I'm going to lose. Don't get too excited. <laughs> okay, so in front of you, you should both have a buzzer. Joe, press yours. Tim, let's hear yours. He's got the bad <laughs> buzzer wheel. I'm unhappy. <laughs> so... When you know the answer to the question, press, buzz in. Press buzz in. Don't shout See, out the answer. Joe is so competitive. Can we, I know, so I'm gonna, I'm can gonna, we um, wait to hear the full question before we buzz, okay. please? Or is that too much to no, ask? Okay. Can we not? If we feel like we can interrupt, do you lose a point if you interrupt it you in your question? It should be university challenge rules, I think. <laughs> yeah. It <laughs> it should be. take a point off for university <laughs> yeah. challenge. Okay. okay. This is a, a lovely one to get your brain around to start with. I feel like Tim can see your screen. I can. <laughs> I'm so okay. competitive. Okay. Right. Question one. According to the Higher Education Statistics Agency, HESA, statistics for 2016-17, the University of London is the largest university by number of students in the UK. What is the combined number of distance learning and campus-based students? It was me. It was yeah, Joe. Yeah. 170,000. Tim, are you going to have a stab? 120,000. Joe is correct. Oh, oh, my God. It's 161,270. Question two. The University of London has claimed to being the third oldest university in England after Oxford and Cambridge. But which university disputes that claim? Did you say in England? England. Uh, not, not the UK. Durham. You're right, Joe. Oh, <laughs> you are actually right. So Durham, uh, University of London was founded in 1836, right? Durham was officially founded in 1832 and began awarding degrees in 1837. However, London um, was the third university to be granted a royal charter. Oh, okay. in, which was in 1836. The Royal so, Charter counts. Do you reckon? Yeah, I'd say so. There's, a, there's another two that are also involved in the dispute. You can get a bonus point if you can name either of them. Yes, Joe. Warwick. No. Oh! No, it's pretty odd. It's a bit closer to home. It's a bit of a trick. Closer to home? Yeah. As well, in the Central Precinct? Well, what happened before University of London? King's... And UCL. Yeah, correct. Yeah. So UCL was actually... Okay, of course. It was, was the first University of London. Yes. Um, and then uh, King's was set up and King's actually received its Royal Charter in 1829. So um, when it, I suppose when it became part of University of London, that was superseded. Yeah. So okay. anyway, Joe gets the point. Okay. <laughs> you can't see this, but she is so happy. I, you, <laughs> don't take a video of me doing this because of my ultra competitive behaviour. Right. I think Tim might get this one. Well, so. let's wait and see. Right. Fictional Sherlock Holmes sidekick, Dr. James Watson, studied for his medical degree at which University of London Medical School? Yes, Joe. King's College. 
is the wrong answer. Oh, can I go again? No, let, you're locked out until Tim has a go. Uh, St. George's? No. Oh. St. Bart's? It is Bart's. <laughs> That's what I meant. Oh, no. So, St. yeah, Bart's. He, he got his uh, I was going to say St. Bart's first. Uh, Bart's in the London School of Medicine and Dentistry, which is now part of Queen Mary. That's right. Yes. <laughs> Queen Mary. Queen Mary. Queen Mary. Yeah, you got that. <laughs> that even featured in the TV show, the modern Sherlock. Yeah, I've not watched them. I should. No, you should do. Yeah. Okay, so that is uh, three nil. Yeah. I don't okay. think Tim can come back from this. Oh gosh. Okay. If I'm I get gonna, the next I'm going to whitewash this. Come on. <laughs> I, yeah, I need I'm to doing it for the one. girls. I'm, I'm doing it for the girls. Okay, ready? Come on. Have you, have you practiced, Joe? No, he hasn't. <laughs> Unless she's got access to my private drive. <laughs> I haven't, I promise no. you. I'm okay. just, let me just be clever. To the nearest 100, how many graduands attended our graduation ceremony at the Barbican Centre in March earlier this year? That was Tim. 1,100. Joe, do you want to have a go? 1,196. I'm going to give it to Tim. <laughs> it's 1,200, but... Oh, yeah, he's yeah. closest. Yeah, he is closest. Like, so, yeah, there were two ceremonies um, on Tuesday, the 5th of March, and around 4,000 people in total attended, including guests um, from over 100 countries. Hold on, why am I, Why are you giving it to him? I was closest. I know, but he was first. You broke the rules of the game by saying a number that wasn't to the nearest 100. <laughs> <Yeah>. so, <laughs> so, sorry. <laughs> So I don't make the rules, but, you know, I do adhere to them. <laughs> That's true. Right. Okay. Next question. There is a chance for Tim to equalise at least, Uh-oh. eventually. Can you name two former South African presidents that have studied with us by distance learning? Joe again. Nelson Mandela. Yeah. And... She's in trouble. Tim, can I have a stab to get the points? Oh. Nelson Mandela and... Do I get half a point? No. It <laughs> doesn't rule make the rules. Nelson Mandela and... Insert correct answer here. That's right. Tybo and Becky. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so Nelson Mandela... Um, studied LLB famously yep. with us. And then Taibo and Becky, who immediately preceded him as president, studied economics with us. Taibo and Becky. Excellent. I'll edit that in afterwards. Final question. Fingers on the buzzers. Which country produced the first ever University of London graduate outside of the United States? <laughs> Hadn't quite finished the question. <laughs> Go on. Mauritius. Is correct. Well done. But, oh, but I Joe's, say Sri Lanka. Joe's won it. Well done, Joe. Um, uh, at least I've won it. That's yeah. good. I'm okay. Well Thank you, you so des- much. Well deserved. Thank you. Right. Um, I love winning. <laughs> Where do you put Arsenal then? <gasps> Isn't your middle name after an Arsenal <laughs> yeah, player? Is, yeah. So, you know, There's you really can't. Owned, you, to be fair. You can't really. <laughs> and, you know, we are the Invincibles still. So. Yeah. Okay. Come on, you Spurs. Okay, so we're now joined by Georgina, another member of the student experience team. 
How are you today, Georgina? I'm very well, thank you, Will. How are you today? Not too bad, not too bad, thanks. Good. Um, so, Georgina, you're going to talk to us about mental health and well-being. So when we use that phrase, what do we mean exactly? Um, when we talk about mental health and well-being, we're talking about how we feel, really, and if we feel in a good place or if we feel in a bit of a low place and how we can help ourselves to feel better. So Georgina, this is technically our Christmas episode of the podcast, but obviously many of our students don't um, celebrate Christmas, but we all have periods of cultural and religious celebration that happen throughout the year. So what are some of the challenges that these festive periods throw up that we may not necessarily think about? So I guess at a time where there's a lot of expectation to be really cheery and really happy, that can be really hard for a number of reasons, really. Um, one of those is if you're simply feeling sad at a time where you're not supposed to be. Um, and that can be for a number of reasons. And then there's other things that come with festivities and Christmas and things like that. And that can be social pressure. So there's suddenly being like loads and loads of invitations to family gatherings or parties and things like that. Um, there could also be financial stress if there's if you're if you have to buy gifts for people and you know you can't necessarily afford all of the latest things. Um, and another challenge around these times is if you've experienced the loss of a loved one, um, adjusting to to the event or the occasion or the celebration without them. Um, so, so what's how can people help themselves? What self care can people do to help themselves through these festive times? So there's a number of things you can do. And if we talk sort of specifically, yeah, around the festive period and maybe Christmas, as this is technically the, so it's the next big one coming up. Um, the general thing that I would say to do is be kind to yourself. Um, if you're feeling a bit down, try to accept the feeling rather than feeling guilty about how you're feeling about feeling down. Mm -hmm. um, everyone is at different stages of their lives and we all go through times of feeling really good and times of feeling low and that's natural and that's okay. Um, so if you can try and remember and remind yourself that how you're feeling isn't wrong um, and you're experiencing something, but you're not the feeling, you're just experiencing it at the moment. Um, so I guess... Try and be a friend to yourself. If you think about what would you say to comfort a friend if they were feeling down um, and and say that to yourself, say it's okay, you know, we can do this, we can get through this time. Um, there's also things like you might be able to take advantage of having lots of people around if there's more family and more friends around and things um, and to connect with them more. So that could be as simple as just let them know how you're feeling. And if there's lots of people around, um, try not to keep it all to yourself because if you're keeping it to yourself and you kind of want to withdraw, the people around you might feel confused or hurt if they don't know it's because you're just feeling quite low. Um, so tell them what you need, tell them how they can support you. Do you need extra hugs? Do you need an extra hour a day to yourself? And discuss that with them and connect with them and let them be there for you. Um, and then kind of on that note is the idea of just take some time each day to do something that helps you feel more centered. 
So if you really like reading, take five minutes a day to read or listen to music or go for a walk. Just have that have that little bit of you time um, to help you prepare for the day ahead kind of thing. Um, and then there's the stuff to do, you know, if there's social pressure, know that you can say no to things. Like if you just feel, oh, I really want to stay in and relax, but there's this thing that I've been invited to and I don't know what to do. I just really don't feel like going. It's absolutely fine. There's going to be other things that you can go to and listen to yourself. If you need a night, just, you know, sitting back, putting on a film that you love. It's absolutely fine. Do it. Um, and then in terms of like finance, there are so many kinds of gifts you can give without having to spend loads and loads of money. Like you could do an IOU gift. So the idea of that is say you could write in a card, like I owe you three dinners throughout the year. And that can be a really lovely and special thing for someone to receive, to know that you're going to take that time to make them dinner or take them tea in bed for the next month. Whatever you choose for that to be um, is equally as valuable as a material gift. Georgina, I know that you've actually um, just recently launched the I Feel Better When campaign yeah. uh, on our social media channels, um, something that's really um important to you uh what do you do to I feel for I feel better when okay so that's a really lovely question so for me to feel better there's a range of things so I love writing and I write things down um whether that's in a journal at the end of the day and something that I do every day is keep a gratitude list so I'm now on day 320 three, I think, of doing that. And it's just writing down a couple of words about something I've appreciated that day. That's lovely. And I also like, I talk, I talk to my friends and my family a lot. That's mm. just how I process how I feel. Um, and I find that really, really helpful. We're doing this podcast with you now because it's around the festive time of year that we're experiencing around Christmas. And I know that Will said at the top of the, um, the, the, episode that you know there are different festivals and religious happenings that you know go on throughout the year for all, all different cultures and all of our students are from around the world so they're going to experience things at different times and I think the things that you've sort of um mentioned are things that you know can be used um in life generally I mean they students who have exams coming up and so on I know one of the things that we wanted to do was to bring you back on the podcast to talk more about all the well-being um, resources and support that you are putting together for our students. Would you be willing to come back on and talk to us more about those? Oh, definitely. I'd love to come back on. Thanks so much, Georgina. Thank you. Great. Thank you, Georgina. Cheers. So that's it for this episode of the World Class Podcast. Uh, thank you very much for your comments on Twitter and Facebook regarding the podcast. We'd love to see more of those, so please keep them coming in. Um, last time we also spoke about online societies. We've got the book club going and now the World Recipe Society is in full swing. Joe, you've put a recipe up. How many? I have. It's on. It's a pad thai, but I know that our students who um, live in Thailand will have a look at that probably and think that isn't the way that you make pad thai. Um, and I love, I love pad thai. So if somebody can 
give me a better recipe, I would love it. But that was my version and I put that up. So I hope you like it. Yeah, hopefully they can give some pointers. I'm definitely going to try that mac and cheese that you've put up as well. Well, well I was going to say, I've uploaded my it's incredible. mac and cheese and it's a special Christmas mac and cheese <laughs> with a secret, well, not secret in green, has pigs in blankets in it. And you need we, to tell everyone what pigs well, in blankets are. we were discussing this in the office yesterday <laughs> and uh, an Australian colleague had no idea what pigs in blankets were. Um, they are little sausages wrapped in bacon and they coexist with macaroni and cheese in my dish. I've even put a video up there. Did so you put the video up? The video's oh, up. Okay, you've good. outshone my little it's, picture um, of my pad thai then. Not the healthiest meal. No. I, I'd say that is a heart attack. <laughs> it it meal. contains butter, cheese, sausage, mm. bacon, mm. and more cheese. And what could you do as an alternate if you didn't put the bacon could, in? Um, just more bacon. <laughs> sweet corn is there is thing? sweet corn in it oh is there you put that yeah in. Okay. put sweet corn in it as well yeah okay clubs and societies can be found through the student portal okay so that's it whatever you're doing over this period have a lovely time enjoy the break enjoy the break and we will see you in the new year and if you have any special traditions that you do that involve jumping into ice cold water let us know absolutely yeah <laughs> Anything you want to comment on, anything you'd like us to talk about or you'd like to say, uh, please, by all means, send it in. Thank you so much for listening.